0: Unfound is a podcast that has now covered about 250 disappearances, over 299 episodes. It has an interview-based format and concentrates on the facts, not the theories. Today, and for the 11th time, I will take you back to the beginning, then right up to the present, as I cover recent updates on many of Unfound's cases. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. In the spirit of making these update episodes easier to listen to or watch, I've cut to a minimum the pomp and circumstance of the previous ones. If you'd like to get a detailed report on how Unfound went from nothing to something over the past five and a half years, please listen to the first five minutes of the previous update episode that came out at the end of 2021. So, let's move on. Unfound news. It's the end of the month, so that means newsletter. Please look for it in your inbox this weekend if you're on the email list. If you aren't, contact me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Next, the Unfound Now for April 2022 is done and is now viewable for all YouTube channel members. For the rest of you, you'll have to wait until next week for it to be released to the public. If this bothers you, I urge you to go to Unfound's YouTube channel and become a member by hitting the join button. Finally, Dad will be here starting next week. I'm flying up there Monday, and we're driving back Tuesday so I'll probably not be as responsive as I usually am to your messages and posts during this time. Where you can find Unfound. Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, Podbean, and many other platforms, especially outside the United States. Unfound has social media accounts on... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, join me on Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern on the Unfound Podcast channel for the live show, the only one of its kind in true crime. Ask questions, chat with other viewers, and give the show a thumbs up. You can contribute to Unfound in the following ways. Patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. Paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. Contribute during the live show with the super chat. And lastly, join the YouTube membership program for the low price of $0.10 a day. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. And please mention Unfound at all true crime websites. And forums. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Many of you have listened to these update episodes before. Maybe not all ten of the previous ones, but maybe at least a few of them. But as you would expect, Unfound has picked up a lot of new listeners since December, as I think any maybe popular podcast does. So I think I need to explain how this all works for the new people what i 'm going to do is go through starting back uh in September of two thousand and sixteen and give all of you updates on the disappearances that Unfound is covered in which there are updates to be given. I do not uh for the new people I do not go through all two hundred and fifty disappearances i don 't do that that would be hours and 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 unfortunately. A majority of unfound's disappearances uh, that we've covered since September of 2016 do not have any updates. It's just the way it is. Every time, very sad, but that's the reality of it. In addition, once again for the new people, I don't have a script that I'm reading from. All I have is uh, are some notes, just words, not even complete sentences. I find it just just the. Best way to do this. Although I am going to be reading a couple articles that were written about um, a couple of these disappearances that do have updates. So if you hear a lot of ums and you knows and okays and and things like that, it's because I'm doing a lot of this off the top of my head. I'm filling in the words. All I have in in on the screen in front of me are the most important words, and I have to fill in. Everything else, but I can assure you, I've gone through every disappearance, all 250 of them, checking to see if they have updates, and then putting notes on the screen in front of me that uh, are, are, that will help me explain to you what is going on. And I should mention one more thing: I'm not sure if this was clear on all the previous update episodes, but I do check to see if there are any or any updates for the unfound now. ...episodes that I do monthly on YouTube. So if there are any updates regarding any of those disappearances, those will be covered after I go through the updates for the regular Friday podcast. Okay, uh, we're going to start here with the first one. Ironically, I just got through saying I was going to do this a lot, all off the top of my head, at least most of it. And uh, for this first one, I'm actually going to read a blog post... Um, so once again, irony. Uh, the first uh, disappearance we're going to cover uh, is Kelly Rothwell. Uh, and as was started just a few update episodes ago, ago uh, recommended by a listener, at least in fact several. I'm going to just read an intro to the episode so all of you can maybe be reminded of what the disappearance was. I'm not going to go into the deep, deep details of any of any of these disappearances, um, that would probably take too long. So I will read the intro, you know, that little intro that I do for every episode since day one. Uh, I'll read that to kind of uh, maybe spark your memory as to what happened in that particular disappearance, at least the generalities. So for Kelly's, Kelly Rothwell uh, was a 35 year old woman from Indian Rocks Beach, Florida. She was a police cadet. Who just was just a few weeks from graduation on March 12, 2011. She told a friend she was going home to break up with her boyfriend. Kelly was never seen again. So now I'm going to read uh, a blog post that uh, was done by the guest for that episode. Uh, the woman's name is Lee Clifton. She did not know Kelly, she was a reporter who got involved. Uh, reporting on Kelly's disappearance right after Kelly went missing. So uh, Lee Clifton has been working on this for over 10 years now. Uh, It's not her main job. Uh, She has a job uh, doing something else. I know we don't want to get into that, but I think at the time she was working freelance for Patch.com, but she ended up stumbling across uh, the disappearance of Kelly and has been working on it ever since. She's done great work. She was the guest, like I said, back in 2016. So I'm going to read um, what she wrote back in January on her website, uh, tampabaycrimereport.com, a blog post about Kelly's uh, disappearance. Kelly Rothwell would have been 46 today. She should have celebrated her birthday with family and friends, with her niece and nephew, Holly and Alex. Her sister Lauren's new babies, her wonderful mother Nancy, sisters Lindsay and Kristen, and the rest of her family, but she isn't. She is out there somewhere, killed by an angry, narcissistic, murdering bleep named David Perry. Why is this case over 10 years old and no arrests? Pinellas County Sheriff's Office says, quote-unquote, they can't make an arrest without a body. That's BS. There have been convictions for murder without a body— especially with as much circumstantial evidence against Perry as there seems to be firsthand evidence of him stalking her missing computer police academy materials found dumped in a dumpster by their shared condo on Indian Rocks beach Perry canceling his gym membership telling the guys there he was moving to Hawaii his online dalliance with Melissa Walker who he later married in Hawaii after he killed Kelly and dumped her body His total lack of remorse or sadness at her disappearance and his refusal to be interviewed by police. I think he dumped her in Seneca Lake, which is in New York, by the way. He had access with two friends who had both houses and boats on the lake. He used to spend time there every summer, and he knew the area very well. Kelly's geodes are missing. At least 15 of those heavy half-cut crystal rocks were never found, even though she had them at the condo. His kite cell was found in the storage locker Perry and Kelly had beneath their condo, but the kite cell canvas bag, approximately 68 inches or a little more than five and a half feet, was missing and never found. Kelly was only about 5'2, and her body could have easily fit in that kite cell bag. Those kite cells also come with weights that look very much like diver belts, diver's belts. In Florida courts, per statute 731, Point 103, a person can be legally declared deceased if they have been absent from the place of his or her domicile for a period of five years after that, after their last appearance, and it should be noted that Florida law prohibits someone from inheriting from their murder victim, according to the Kuhn Law Firm in Pennsylvania. David Perry was listed as Kelly's beneficiary on one of her accounts, and I have written about that one that I found in Corning in both of their names, but without a body and positive proof or conviction, that money is frozen at this time. There's also the issue of closure. How can you attain closure for your grand, for your daughter's sister's friend's death when the man who killed her walks free, when he blatantly flaunts his freedom when he jogs around Elmira, New York? And actually stops in front of a mirrored building to admire himself and snaps a few selfies while he preens like a peacock. And that's the end of Lee's entry and on her website, TampaBayCrimereport.com. This is a disappearance. Uh, if you don't know, this is a disappearance that happened right down the street from where I live. Uh, just a couple miles I, in fact, just last night uh, was down that way and past that condo building. I go to the mobile gas station down there. It's one of the few gas stations out here at the beach. I go there to get gas. I go there to buy Powerball and Mega Million tickets. So I know that area kind of well, though. I've lived well south of of it, and now I live north of it. Uh, It's right there. It is creepy. To go by there knowing what happened in that building. And where Kelly's car was uh, eventually found is only a block away from the post office that I usually go to. So this is a disappearance that hits very close to home uh, figuratively and literally even though I did not live here in Florida when it happened. I don't think there's any doubt about what happened here. David Perry, I continue to say – is one of the worst people we've ever talked about on Unfound. Uh, he only he has he only he has few rivals, knowing uh, who he was before and after Kelly's disappearance, and you just wonder how uh, a nice young woman like Kelly gets wrapped up with a guy like David Perry. But uh, as you heard in here, uh, Lee believes that. David took Kelly the whole way to New York, and Seneca Lake is in New York. Uh, I don't think that that lake has been searched to any uh, to any depth, uh, to any length, uh, and, and it's not a small lake, and it's very deep. From what I understand, Lee and I have talked about this in the past. Uh, in the distant past, I've not spoken to her recently, but... Uh, She makes very good points, and she really sums up Kelly's disappearance very well in what she wrote back in January, uh, seemingly on Kelly's birthday. So that is all that uh, can be said right now in April, late April of 2022, about Kelly Rothwell's disappearance. Next update, Joshua Guimond. Joshua Cheney Guimond was a 20-year-old student at St. At John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. On the night of November 9th, 2002, he was playing cards with his friends in their dorm room. Around 11 p.m., he left the room. His friends thinking he went back to his dorm. He was never seen again. This once again very early on in Unfound's existence, still in 2016. Really no updates in the investigation of the case, but uh, recently I was contacted – by a guy from Minnesota who is going to be starting a uh, podcast exclusively, it seems, on Josh's disappearance. Of course, there's a lot to talk about. Not, uh, Of course, regarding his uh, disappearance, of course, Josh's disappearance, but all of you may remember... All the controversy, all of the controversy that's surrounded St. John's University going back to the 1960s, and that was covered uh, with the guest for Josh's disappearance back in 2016. These priests who were molesting uh, students and molesting children, and uh, a lot of belief that Josh's disappearance could have something to do um, with all of this. I've uh, spoken to this guy who's uh, going to be starting this, I'm guessing, maybe this summer. It does seem to me, I'm not going to give his name away, and he's come up with a name for the podcast. I don't want to get into all of that. I don't, you know, I'm not going to steal his thunder. Um, But I'll surely, once it comes out, I'll surely tell you all about it. But it um, does seem maybe he's running into a couple obstacles right at this point. However, it does seem to me he is going to try to reach out to some of these people who are around – Josh at the time, these roommates or friends who were in the dorm, I know that they've been spoken to. They were talked to way back at the time, but I don't know if anybody recently has spoken to them, if their opinions have changed. I guess we'll just have to see. I I can't say it's not my podcast that will be happening. I don't know how in-depth this guy is going to go. Um, but it does sound to me like right now he is going to try to talk to these – some people who are around Josh, uh, not – maybe just not Josh's family. I've never spoken to anybody in Josh's family, but friends of his, anybody who knew Josh on campus at the time. That might be helpful. It's 20 years late. It's going to be a 20-year anniversary this November, and these people aren't 20 years old now. Now they're 40. Maybe this has given them a different perspective. Not saying any of them in particular know anything, but um, it will be interesting if this guy is going to can line up a nice group of people to talk to who knew Josh at the time outside of the family. Might give us all maybe a, a different point of view. Uh, I look forward to it. Uh, so we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, Josh's uh continues to be one of maybe one of the more controversial ones, disappearance that we've covered due to the subject matter of what was going on at the time and the belief that maybe he was trying to stop it. And that happened. You know, some priest got to him or some student wasn't happy with what Josh was doing, but then tension has also gone to these – guys who were with Josh that night in that dorm room could something have gone on then I think there's still some uh, a lot of different possibilities regarding Josh's disappearance but that's the update seemingly going to be a podcast coming out this summer about Josh's disappearance exclusively Andrea Bowman will be next and I think I think Her disappearance is um, one of the few that maybe has been on every update episode. It's very possible. Andrea Michelle Bowman was a 14-year-old from Hamilton, Michigan. She had been adopted when she was very young and never knew her biological family. On March 11, 1989, Andrea allegedly ran away from her family's farmhouse after getting caught stealing money. She was never seen again. Now, that was the original... Uh, intro way back at the end of 2016 when I had her biological mother, Kathy Turkanian, on the program. Since then, as many of you know, and I've talked about it, like I said, maybe every update episode, there always seems to be something going on with Andrea's case. But her adopted father, Dennis Bowman, uh, was finally charged with her murder. They went on the land. They found Andrea's remains. They were identified, And uh, the update is that in February, he was sentenced to 35 to 50 years uh, with second-degree murder regarding Andrea's death. Uh, Of course, he's already doing time for a woman he murdered in Virginia in 1980, and there are many people, myself included, who believe that Dennis Bowman has killed others. I don't know of any other children, but certainly... Uh, maybe at least a couple more grown women. Uh, you know the thing about Dennis Bowman. If you go back and read these articles, is that he still really is not taking um, responsibility. Of course, if you read what his version of what happened was, that he hit her and she fell down the steps. So I so I you know, and I've said this before. And he fell down – she fell down the steps and died. So I guess it's the steps' fault. I guess. that Yeah, I didn't mean to kill her. I just hit her, and then she fell down the steps. It was the steps that killed her. I'm not convinced any of that. I don't know necessarily what the remains showed, if after all these years they could even determine um, the cause of death. But... How do we know, how do we know she he just didn't choke her or something? I guess at this point, maybe it doesn't matter, but this just shows you, I think, looking into the mind of a killer that he's really not owning up to it but uh, but in February of twenty twenty two he got sentenced to thirty five to fifty years in prison uh, once again, second degree murder. The reason I didn't go to first degree murder or the death penalty. There was something I read because he would have been – some weird thing he would have been eligible for parole in 15 years or something. It was just some weird kind of paradox of sentencing in Michigan, but safe to say he's never getting out of jail again. And I think we have to be very happy about – there's nothing happy about any of this, but that the remains were found. Uh, this very easily could have been a situation where he got charged with Andrea's death and got sentenced to time, and her remains should, had things gone different back in 1989, uh, he could have been caught anyway, but her remains still not be found here in 2022. So, uh, this is one of the few disappearances that Unfound has covered where. It all completely 100% has gotten resolved. If it was a murder, the murder's been caught, he's been convicted or took a plea, has been sentenced, and the person's missing person's remains have been found. So that is the update. Um, Will we have another update, Andre Bowman update, uh, come the next episode? I don't know. Uh, certainly would not... Mind talking about Dennis Bowman again uh, again, if it's proven that he has maybe killed other women that just aren't attached to him yet. Maybe that will be the next time we talk about him. But he's been sentenced, so I I don't know otherwise if we'll talk about Andrea's case specifically after this particular update episode. Next update, Rebecca Gary. Becky Pauline Gary was a 32-year-old single mother living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She liked making friends at local coffee shops and hobnobbing with the city's upper class. On December twenty-seventh, 1988, she called her sister, telling, telling her things weren't working out in Baton Rouge and that she was ready to move to Shreveport. Becky was never seen again. The update is that uh, a listener... Uh, um, a member of the think tank, a longtime supporter of Unfound, continues to work on Becky's disappearance when she can. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, woman has had a lot of things going on in her life over the past year, so maybe she hasn't made as much progress as she would like. But uh, here's what I think I know. She is working on Rebecca's disappearance more than any other single person on this earth. There's, what almost 8 billion people on the earth now. This uh, particular woman who is an unfound listener is working on it more than anybody else. It uh, was discovered I think in a previous update that I gave that uh, was discovered that uh, a couple that Rebecca knew moved away shortly after Rebecca went missing. Uh, this uh, woman was able to track these two down. I think that the woman is now deceased, but the guy is still alive. I don't think he's had too much to say uh, about Rebecca's disappearance. It's even unclear if he even knew that she was missing allegedly, but that was something new. But uh, this woman, when she can, she is uh, trying to make progress on it. Um, Maybe she doesn't even update me even once once a month or something, but um, she's trying – uh, more than anybody else, and I give her all the credit in the world, uh, I love people who are willing to donate uh, donate even just a, a, an hour a week of their time to one of these disappearances. And I don't mean going down rabbit holes and getting caught up in some long web sleuths forum page after page after page or you know, something like – you know anything like that. Um, actually trying to contact – People who knew the missing person, trying to contact family, even tracking down maybe a suspect, see if the person wants to talk or not. Those are the people who uh, get my respect, and this woman, of course, has all the respect I can give. And uh, the disappearance is tough. Different possibilities, Rebecca's disappearance Even if we're thinking that it's a murder, it could be three or four different people who could have something to do with it. On the other hand, you could believe that Rebecca just took off on her own because of the um, kind of the circumstances she was in at the time of her disappearance. Plus it was the holidays. That has to be figured into it as well. So that's the update for Rebecca Gary. Next update, Eric Franks. Eric Lee Franks was a 38-year-old from Saginaw, Michigan. He loved children and communicating with his friends on social media. On March 21st, 2011, according to the mother of Eric's biological daughter, she saw him drive away from her house. However, no one noticed he was missing for six months. He was never seen again. That was, once again, the original intro that I read uh, back in early 2017 when we covered Eric's disappearance. His mother was on the program. We now know that at least a part of that uh, intro is false. Uh, that according to the mother of Eric's biological daughter, she saw him drive away from her house. We now know that's not true. There's no way that's true given events from 2020 when Eric's uh, car was found uh, miraculously in one piece and running. But the reason I'm, I'm – Bringing up Eric, even though there's not really much of an update, but this is to uh, illustrate how you can have uh, a case, a disappearance case, be totally cold for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden you get some big break, and certainly Eric Franks' car being found has to be still one of the biggest surprises that has ever occurred in Unfound's history. But then everything seemingly goes back to being as cold as possible and it's almost as if the car was never found it's it's sad but really uh many of you um have listened to most of unfun's episodes you probably listened to eric franks's episode you know what i'm talking about you know how big of a deal it was when his car was found you're thinking well this is it and um, it doesn't seem like it's been it yet. It's been a year and a half. And tell me I'm wrong. It, it, and I don't like being negative, but it's just almost like we that uh, it, it never happened. So um, it doesn't seem like that car has given them any new leads. I'm guessing they went and spoke to Kendra's. Husband, ex husband, whatever, he, did they end up getting divorced or whatever? But um, he's still driving or walking around a free man. But I don't think anybody out there really believes that Kendra crafted this all on her own. That um, something went on and Eric dies and she gives this card. To this old guy, Gerald Rutledge, and she's able to get Eric, you know, make Eric's remains disappear without help from others. That stretches my imagination. I think it stretches everybody's imagination. But uh, so the update is: this just shows you that you just things can go from cold to hot to cold again in these disappearances very quickly. Next update: Jeff Joseph. Jeff Joseph was a 45-year-old businessman from Louisiana. He loved wearing fedoras and never said no to a friend who asked for help. On June 21st, 21st, 2014, he was in Northern California for an appointment before heading to land he leased in the area. Jeff never arrived for the meeting and didn't show up at his property later. He was never seen again. You know, Jeff's is not one. I, I gotta say, I don't know if uh, we've ever included it in an update episode before, and really, there's no update on the investigation, um, or any new facts or anything. But we have to remember Jeff is one of the Jeff's disappearance is one of the few that it uh, also has a vehicle missing, and you know the fact is since 2017 when we covered his disappearance. We've learned uh, quite a bit about cars and um, the people go that go missing with them, certainly from our own work, certainly from work that Adventures with Purpose, is, uh, Purpose have done. And maybe just myself, now that I do this uh, 24-7, I pay a lot more attention to this than I ever did before I started doing Unfound, that it does seem that when people in cars go missing that most likely it is not foul play. No, having <laughs> – no. It's interesting that I'm saying that given that I just mentioned uh, Eric Franks is where we certainly believe that there was foul play and his car was missing with him for quite a while. But something to think about. Um, can certainly believe given what Jeff was into and the people he was going to see in California that uh, foul play is certainly believable but i'm also a believer that after a time maybe it's time to get back to ba- basics and reexamine um your concepts your your uh your suppositions or the basis on which you're making all of these um leaps into the foul play category Maybe it's time to think about where was he driving from? Where was he driving to? Is it possible that maybe he did get into a wreck and ran off a road or into a river or something? Maybe it's time to think about that just in case. Next update, Shannon Turner. Shannon Rayanne Turner was a 33-year-old woman from Indianapolis, Indiana. She was a free spirit who would travel wherever her heart took her. On December 4th, 1997, she went to work at Babe's Showgirls, but didn't come home after. She was never seen again. If you'll remember that, uh her boyfriend at the time was in a motorcycle gang and then he was in went into jail. And right around the time that, that this episode came out, back in twenty seventeen, is when he was getting out of jail. Uh the only update here is I, I would it my perception is that Shannon Turner's Facebook page You know, for a while it doesn't seem like there was a lot going on there. But it does seem like recently that there's more and more posting being done on there. uh, Trying to get things kick-started again. Calling out uh, not just the man, but men who surely know what happened to Shannon. This is uh, certainly a disappearance where foul play is involved. That it sounds to me like this was some sort of domestic situation that uh, this one guy uh, ended up killing her. Maybe wasn't planned, but that's what happened. And even recently, uh, if you go to the Facebook page, there's a woman's picture, obviously uh, some sort of mugshot, uh, and it is believed that she knows what happened to Shannon. This woman's name is Sherry, C-H-E-R-E, Sherry Zupan, Z E Z U P A N Sherry Zupan. And I have to admit I did not go back to the original episode and see if her name was was mentioned there. Um, But uh, the page, uh, which I think is run by – I know Shannon's brother who was not the guest for the episode. Shannon's sister actually was the guest for the episode. But um, he does quite a bit of posting there, and I think it might have been he who uh, posted this woman's picture. There' so a lot of activity it seems going on on Shannon's Facebook page these days, in, um, and most recently with this this woman's picture. So maybe that's something to watch out for if you're on Facebook. Maybe you want to uh, follow that page on there. Next update: Kleshindra Hall. Kleshindra Denise Hall was an 18 year old woman from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. She was ranked at the top of her high school class and was to take part in an internship in Boston after graduation. On May 9th, 1994, her mother, Laurel, dropped her off at work right around the corner from their home. Clea walked inside when her shift ended three and a half hours later. Clea Clea allegedly left. She was never seen again. Uh, The update here is there was a recent balloon release. Uh, and, of course, we're coming up uh, – she disappeared on May 9th, 1994, coming up on the 28-year anniversary of her disappearance. But there was a balloon release uh, earlier this month uh, of April, maybe the end of March. Maybe this was coincided maybe with Kleshindra's birthday maybe. That's just a guess. I don't know why uh, Laurel uh, picked that particular date. But um, yeah, there was a balloon release – and so they got some local attention there in the Pine Bluff area. I continue to believe uh, that the guy that she was working for, this guy had an older <clears throat> son who was not mentioned at all during that episode way back in two, 2017. His name was Omar Amos. I certainly believe that he caused Kleshindra's disappearance. Unfortunately, Omar died, uh, suffered a violent death. He was attacked by somebody and died. Uh, I think in twenty twenty. But there was a balloon release uh, for Kleshindra just to make sure nobody's forgotten about her. It certainly does have the feel of one of those disappearances. You wonder if it'll ever be solved. I don't like to be negative like about that, but if Omar did do this and, and he's gone, then you know what to tell you. But there was a recent balloon release. That is the update. Next update Brandon Williams. Brandon Williams, Haas to his family, was a 33-year-old from Ephraim, Utah. He had lived in such wide-ranging places as the Hamptons and California. On May 17, 2013, he got on a bus in Salt Lake City, Heading back to where he lived in Key West, Florida on, Mar- on May 18th, he made a call to a friend saying he was in Nashville. He was never seen again. The update here has nothing to do with his disappearance. It has everything to do with the guest for that episode who was Brandon's sister, Stormy. You may remember from a couple years ago that Stormy uh, um, suffered from brain cancer. And had to have surgery done from which she recovered. And uh, unfortunately, she had to get surgery done just within the last few weeks here in April of 2022. I'm um, here to tell you that she got through the surgery fine. Uh, but there are follow-ups. And, of course, they after they do something like that, they do more MRIs, tests, to make sure that they got all of it. Um. But right now, as I do the recording of this on April 26th, 2022, uh, that uh, she got out of surgery. And in fact, I think there was even a picture of her walking uh, the day after they had operated on her brain. So that is certainly noteworthy. But uh, so I want all of you, should you be inclined to do so, if this is within your uh, belief system, to send out your thoughts and prayers to Stormy, and I know many of you uh, certainly on Facebook are friends with her. Maybe you want to uh, check in with her to see how she is doing. Next update: Craig Freer. Craig Freer was a 17-year-old from Glenville, New York. He was the captain of his soccer team and an all-around popular guy. On June seven or June 27th, 2004, although he should have been at work. He was at a friend's house, technically apartment. After getting caught in this lie, Craig said he was coming home. He was never seen again. Uh, The update is that, you know, last summer it seemed like things had heated up. There was uh, a search done. Unfortunately, nothing was found. And ever since then, everything has gone back to being uh, quiet again. You know, this is one of those, now after... uh, Having covered you know two hundred and fifty disappearances approximately now and two hundred ninety nine episodes yes this episode today is episode two hundred and ninety nine so next week's episode will be three hundred I cannot believe it but this is one of those that it seems like people get really interested in it. They see all sorts of um, possibilities and they're going to do this and do that. Then in the end, it seems people – I don't know if they get frustrated or they they, they just hit so many brick walls that it quickly kind of falls out of favor with them and it's just not as popular to them anymore. In contrast to maybe a a contrast would be Brian Schaefer's or Mara Murray's or Tom Brown's or some others where there is a continuous – or continual uh, interest, people talking about it. It seems with Craig's it's so up and down. It seems like since this episode came out in the summer of 2017 that there have maybe been three separate instances where it seemed like a lot was going on. Now, it doesn't seem like anything got done. There was no new information, relevant information, uh, discovered, but it got hot really fast and then went cold back to being cold very fast just like three times within the last five years, which I think is pretty unique and why do I think that is I think that people when they first hear about it, oh he was said he, he was you know say he was going to work but he wasn't and then he's with this girl and I, I think maybe if they go to certain places people start thinking that Craig's father who's now deceased had something to do with it and this Tends to get people's mind tends to get people's minds really spinning and spinning spinning spinning, and then they just maybe aren't I don't know aren't willing to work harder or something I don't or it's just maybe there's just nothing more to find right now, but then it just goes cold again. It just have it just seems to me there are people who wanted to get really involved in this and then just kind of fell away, so. But uh, whatever was going on last summer that got heated up, it went nowhere. Next update, Clinton Nelson. Clinton Devon Nelson was a 21-year-old from Princeton, Louisiana. He had recently moved there to get to know his dad and work on an oil rig. On September 1st, 2006, he attended a party thrown by a man he and his father knew – Accounts differ, but that night party party goers saw Clinton allegedly run off. He was never seen again. Um, The update here, uh, I don't know where this is going to go, maybe nowhere, but uh, a skull was found in the general area of where Clinton went missing there in Louisiana. Uh, Not like right down the street. From where he went to this party or where he was last seen. But it's something. Uh I, I will I will be honest that I've not looked on Namus, for example, to see if any other people who've gone other people have gone missing in that general area. But somebody came across a skull just a month ago in March of 2020. Um so I guess we'll eventually find out if that is uh clinton or not certainly development um to my knowledge that is the first human bone that has been found in that area since clinton went missing in 2006 but we have to remember this is now 16 years ago and we have to believe maybe at least one other person went missing in that area either before or after clinton went missing so I don't know what the odds are of uh the skull being Clinton's. Um, you know, they weren't very exact on where it was found, but like I said it wasn't just like 500 feet down the street from where this party was, but it um has been brought up, Clinton's name has been brought up in relation to the skull. So maybe there's something there. Uh I, all I can tell you is this happened in March. And there's been no recent news on it. There was March news, and then nothing has been written about it in the month of April of 2022. Next update, Troy Galloway. Troy Galloway was a 34-year-old from Sonora, California. He was a Marine and dedicated father. On January 13th, 2016, he and his wife got into an argument about him relapsing into drug use, although to this day there is no proof of that. She claims he then stormed out into the cold night, not taking their car. He was never seen again. Uh, just to remind all of you also, uh, was it last year? This time goes flying by, yeah, I think it was last year. Uh, they drained a, a local lake to see if their Troy or any evidence related to his disappearance would be found there. Uh, it seems they found nothing. But the update for now in April of 2022 uh, is... And I might have included this on a previous update, maybe going back to December or maybe even going back to August of 2021, is that his mother, Nancy, who was the guest for the episode back in 2017, uh, like Stormy Dorsey, uh, Nancy had been diagnosed with cancer and she went through some very aggressive treatment over the past year, year and a half. And I'm happy to say that she is also uh, back up on her feet Here in April of 2022, um, looking to once again fight the good fight for her son to find out what happened to him and get back to talking to the police um, and seeing what uh, she can do. She is a fighter, I'm here to tell you. But if you uh, knew about her having cancer and how her treatments and everything were going, uh, it seems like I think right now she is in the best shape she can be having gone through that. So that's the update. Next update, Evelyn Hartley. Evelyn Grace Hartley was a 15-year-old from La Crosse, Wisconsin. She was a popular, uh, popular girl who didn't mind studying on a Friday night. On October 24th, 1953, she was babysitting for the first time at the home of the Rasmussen's. At 8.30 p.m., Evelyn's father called to see how she was doing. There was no answer. Worried, he drove over to see Evelyn and found the house had been broken into. Evelyn was gone. She was never seen again. The update here is that uh, if you missed it, was it? it wasn't last month, I don't think, but it was the month before. So going back to February, Dr. Telesco and I um, had a chance to talk about Evelyn's Disappearance on that show. So if you missed that, I hope you will go to uh, either the Her uh, YouTube channel, the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice channel on YouTube, or you can go to our website, theunfoundpodcast.com and scroll down to find – also find uh, the link to that – that show that we did, like I said, back in February, the end of February, I think the last Thursday of February. And uh, so you not only just hear me give my insight into it. You, of course, get to hear Dr. Telesco's very insightful comments, looking at it from her, of course, her uh, experience from her point of view, and then also her assistant, uh, uh, Brandon. Or Brendan? Is it Brendan or Brandon? No, I'm con- uh, now I'm not sure. One of the two. Uh, he also got to comment on it as well. It's weird, you know, with Evelyn's disappearance. Uh, t- it took on, of course, it's one of those. Was she targeted? Was she in the wrong place at the wrong time? Hard to tell. But it certainly took on a, a whole new meaning and looked at it in a totally different way once Janelle Matthews is. Uh, now we know murder got covered by Unfound because they are very, very similar. So you can compare and contra- contrast both of them, both young girls at home, and still to this day, not sure if either of them were targeted or in the wrong place at the wrong time. But uh, yeah, if you'd like to hear myself and Dr. Teleska talk about Evelyn's disappearance, um, Please find that show from late February of 2022. Next update: Dominic Holly Grisham. Dominic Tyshawn Holly Grisham was a 16-year-old from Rochester, New York. He was the second oldest son and an excellent athlete. On Saturday, Saturday, February 12th, 2009, his hockey team won their championship. To celebrate, his mother planned a party for that evening. While she was out shopping, Dominique got a call. He then left his, ho- his house. He was never seen again. Uh, the update here is Mr. Moselle's still working on it. Um, and recently she posted uh, there's a new detective, it seems, who, that is involved. Uh, some new talks. Uh, it does seem to me that she, you should know that she does not live in New York. So anytime if she wants to see the police in person, she has to go from where she lives now Uh, She has to go up there, but it does seem that she did go up there or is going up there. So that is a very uh, positive development that, of course, now what what are we talking over 13 years later that um, she still does have good communication uh, with the uh, Rochester Police Department. And so maybe there's something going on there. I always hope with a, a new person in charge of a disappearance that uh, somebody will actually do something. So maybe that can happen this time. But uh, Moselle recently posted um, – it seemed to be she was very positive about what has been going on recently. Me, um, I'm still convinced that this ex-girlfriend – uh, that he had this girlfriend or ex that he just broken up with or she broke up with him knows what happened. And if you'll remember, I actually got to talk to her. I got to speak to her on – what was it? Super Bowl Sunday of 2018 I guess it would have been. And she really wasn't that helpful. But the reason that I thought that is because he had made some comments uh, about her online and – uh, I could see a situation where maybe some people might want to come to her defense and somehow lord Dominique out out of the house to uh, you know get him out there on on that particular day. could easily easily see that um, this is certainly a disappearance where foul play is the number one choice. Next update: Nicholas Masucci. Nicholas James Masucci was a 60-year-old from Kearney, New Jersey as a Kearney. He was a businessman and sharp dresser. On September 18th, 1974, he had lunch with his daughter, then said he was driving to Brooklyn for business, but didn't say who he was meeting. A couple days later, his car was found in Manhattan. He was never seen again. Uh, To go even further into the information on this disappearance, you remember that Nicholas uh, had a tangential connection to the mob in New Jersey, and in fact his name was mentioned in some FBI work that was done following, studying, spying on, monitoring the um, organized crime back there in the 1970s, and Nicholas's name was – in there uh, however his daughter Fran who was the guest for the episode has a completely uh, different belief regarding what happened to him not going to get into that here but um, and I, I I don't think I'm speaking out of school here but my assistant Eric dr. Eric Grabowski who runs the unfound on the ground um, for uh, premium patreon members and he was also the guest for the Donna uh, Mikalenko episode way back in 2017 he continues to work with Fran and he uh, brought up the idea they seem to be talking about maybe doing some type of documentary on all this on uh, Nicholas's life and you know and everything leading up to his disappearance and so maybe that's going to happen being a filmmaker myself I know how much work that can be um, but maybe, uh, given that Nicholas it seems everybody's always uh, interested in in uh, organized crime stories, and especially if it's maybe a disappearance connected to that dis- uh, organized crime, if you want to believe that, uh, maybe that is uh, something to think about when doing a documentary about Nicholas, his life, and his disappearance. So. They must be talking about that. I hope I'm not speaking out of school. Uh, if that's going to move forward. Uh, as I know, sometimes these projects, if they do get done, take a, a while t- to happen. But something that I guess uh, they're talking about right now. Next update, Billy Silvestro. William Francis the IV. Billy, to those who loved him most was a 28-year-old from Hamilton, Ohio. He loved tattoos and talking about God. On February 7th, 2011, he got a ride to a friend's home, one he hadn't seen in quite a while. The friend claims they partied, then he went to bed. When he woke up, Billy was gone. He was never seen again. Uh, Going back to September, I think in the last update, uh, back in December of 2021, I, I talked about how there was a search uh, done, and I think this is the first any a- any action of any type that had been done on Billy's disappearance in a long time. But uh, so so I updated that way back in December. But uh, once again, it doesn't seem like anything came of the search. It doesn't sound like anything was found, whether remains or anything belonging to Billy. Uh, they were following a tip. And we know how that you know some uh, oftentimes can be, but uh, it just doesn't seem like anything positive came from that um, search back in September. And the reason you may say, well, you just talked about this well, in December the search was done the uh, the search was done in September. Sometimes these things take a while to um, reveal themselves. And it very well could be that maybe they did discover something in September and it just hadn't got out yet. So I always try to come back to something like this on the next update, not just the one right after something like a search, but the update after the update. And still, uh just doesn't seem uh, anything new was discovered, anything, anything regarding Belize's disappearance at all back in September of 2021. Next update, Zoe Campos. Zoe Gabrielle Campos was an 18-year-old from Lubbock, Texas. She was close to her family and loved to work on cars. On the night of November 17th, 2013, Zoe was at home with her sister and a friend. After they went to bed, Zoe seemingly left to meet a guy who was introduced to her earlier that day. She She was never seen again. Um, this is one of those disappearances that remains were found and somebody is in custody, but, uh, this has been going on. Um, you know, I know this episode came out in the summer of 2018 and then in November of 2018 is when Zoe's remains were found in the backyard, buried under that slab of concrete uh, in Carlos Rodriguez's yard. The only reason I remember that was November of 2018 is that's the month my mother died. I just remember them being very close to, you know, I think I was following the aftermath of it as much as I could while being up in Pennsylvania while my mother was in the process of passing away. That's why I remember that. But, so that's, my mother's been dead since November 28th. 2018, so it's been three and a half years, and still Carlos Rodriguez has not gone to jail. Now, I understand that it's been a really, really weird weird world uh, since about March 2020. But uh, they brought Steve Pankey to trial in Colorado back in, in October, of course, of 2021. So I'm not sure what's going on here, and in fact, I have a, uh, a listener uh, who's actually a, a Patreon supporter, a member of the think tank who lives in Texas and has been keeping an eye on all of this for me. And Carlos Rodriguez's trial isn't even on the docket. There's not even a schedule for this to ever even come to trial yet. Why? I don't know. I haven't talked to Zoe's mother in a while Uh, Melinda, maybe I should give her a call to see if she knows what's going on. But uh, I just want you to know that it doesn't seem like Carlos is going to be going to Trout anytime soon. It's amazing. It's frustrating. But that is the update. Next update. And anybody who has maybe been following along with... uh, The the order that I'm going in, which is, of course, oldest to newest, and knowing that I just talked about Zoe Campuses, you knew that this one uh, was coming up. Uh, The next update is Tom Brown. Uh, Thomas Kelly Brown was an 18-year-old from Canadian, Texas. He was president of his class and loved acting and public speaking. On the night of November 23rd, 2016, Thomas was on his way home after hanging out with friends He stopped to get gas in his Dodge Durango. He was never seen again. Now, here's what I can tell you. If you're all new to Unfound, maybe within the last few months or maybe even going back to the end of last year, if you haven't listened to the Tom Brown uh, episode from the summer of 2018, you should probably go and do that. It's It's a defining moment in Unfound's history. Defining moment. Just like that, I would say certainly uh, my interview with Steve Pankey is probably, certainly uh, another one. But uh, once again, if you're new, of course everybody else uh, probably knows what has been going on. But I think what I want to say about all this, and certainly – and maybe I should once again tell the new people that Tom Brown's Remains – this is an episode that came out. In the summer of, like I said, of 2018, I remember uh, where I was when it came out. I was actually up in South Carolina seeing my mother and my father when my mother was still alive. I remember doing that radio interview while I was up there. But his remains were eventually found in late January, early February of 2019. So maybe six months after this episode came out. And it's been a little bit of a fiasco since. So if you're hearing that. Uh, Intro right there. You might think, if you're new, you might think that Tom Brown is still missing. He's not. His remains were found. Now, the question is, uh, is what actually happened to him? And that is still a big question mark. That's just to keep it simple. So, for all you new people, there's no way in an update episode I can tell you everything that went on since February of 2019. In fact, it would... I'm not even going to go through what has gone, happened in total since the last update. Why? Because um, even though this is an update episode, the truth is that there is no update. There are there, – since the last update – in fact, this has been the situation for a while with Tom's death. There are no updates. There really has not been an update actually on the investigation or facts regarding his disappearance. This is, I'm I'm serious, And, and people who know, who've been following this know. There have been no updates, no update on investigation, anything really new, nothing since August of 2019. As much as there's been all this talk back and forth the radio interview is done by people. And Phil Klein's uh, bringing people together back there in October of 2021, coincidentally right around the time that I was in Greeley, Colorado, uh, etc. Nothing has changed. There are no updates. The, despite all of this talk and everything else, there's nothing. There are no new updates. No one out in the world – how many people? Almost 8 billion people on this earth. Nobody is any closer to figuring out what actually happened to Tom Brown, despite all the talk, all the rancor, all the the back and forth. There was a TV show that came out a few months ago, Murder Under the Friend, Friday Night Lights, which I kind of had uh, help, and help did a little help with it behind the scenes, even though it's not been proven that Tom was murdered. Phil Klein and others think he was murdered. I don't think there's any evidence of that. Other people think that uh, there was a suicide and Penny and her family covered it up. There's no proof of that. There's no proof that he overdosed. No proof. There's no proof of anything. The only proof is that he is deceased. And that has been the same situation since 2019. So I'm going to just stick to this being an update episode. If you'd like to hear me go uh, a little bit more on this, you'd have to go back and listen to the live shows I've been doing on Wednesday nights for like the last couple months and try to find those little snippets in there. I'm not doing that here because this is an update episode. And the update is that despite all of the talk, 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 and fighting and jockeying for position, as far as the investigation go, goes, nothing new at all. You're all doing great work out there, people. Next update, Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Marie Turney was a 17-year-old from Phoenix, Arizona. She was the studious type but also had rebellious tendencies, and she had a boyfriend. On May 17th, 2001, she was taken out of school early by her stepfather. He took her to lunch, then home. Then he went out to run some errands. When he came back to the house, Alyssa was gone. She was never seen again. Um, and I should say that intro, I don't think anybody believes that. Uh, the part about him going out to get her errands and coming back, and she was gone. And in fact, uh, her stepfather, Michael, has been charged with her disappearance. Uh, but I have to tell you, there, there's like, maybe like um, Zoe Campus's murder. I think anything's been scheduled regarding this at all, but even though Michael Turney has been charged, I will also tell you that I've gotten kind of the feeling from a couple people that this may end up being very much like what has gone on recently with the Suzanne Morpheus disappearance and in Colorado, where she went missing on Mother's Day a couple years ago, and then eventually her husband Barry was charged. Uh, with her murder, disappearance, and it's certainly you could believe that. I don't know if there's necessarily any facts disputing that, but eventually, Barry, uh, just recently, within the last few weeks of April of 2022, those charges were dropped against them because the prosecutor decided they didn't have enough evidence. And I've had some people say that this is probably what's going to happen in Alyssa's 2, uh, people who are uh, following this a little closer than I am, it's hard for me to really, really cover these things on a – cover these disappearances uh, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, even on a monthly basis. And that's why when it comes to these update episodes, I kind of have to brush up on everything uh, in, a, in a few days, kind of get caught up, I guess you might say. Uh just some people giving me the feeling that the, there's really no evidence of anything, and so the the belief is that at some point all of this is going to get dropped. Now, having said that, it does seem that Michael Turney did get charged quite a while ago, certainly uh, longer ago than Barry Morphew got charged, but Barry Morphew's already been let off the hook. Maybe they'll recharge him one of these days. But to my knowledge, Michael Turney is still has those charges held against them. So, uh, is this one? If you're wondering, is this also a situation having to do with COVID or something? Very well, may be that, that it's this long. Very well, may be, or it could be something else. Next. Update Jansen Brewer and Daniel Braden. This is more maybe just a comment than an update. Jansen Jansen Alex Brewer and Daniel Joe Braden were from St. Joseph's, Tennessee. They had both had run-ins with the law but hadn't known each other very long. Accounts differ, but on august nineteenth, twenty sixteen, they were fishing with another man but then left him because Jansen and Daniel said they had something to take care of. They were never seen again. I also have to remember, I think, maybe what gets forgotten in this disappearance is that uh, a vehicle is, is also missing, like Jeff Joseph's disappearance, like Lola Catherine Fries, who's not – she's not getting mentioned during this update episode. So – and maybe, uh, of course, um, Harry Milligan and Audrey Heron. So we've – kind of recently we've taken on a couple more disappearances where uh, – Cars are also missing, but is it possible? Of course, I'm still suspicious of the Scotty guy. I got to talk to him back then, very shady guy, And think of him, but, you know, is it not just possible that these two ended up in a body of water in the truck and there's no foul play here? I think it's something uh, that maybe we that idea should be entertained. Uh, I'm still a little concerned about... And once again, I'm not going to go into all the details. But this video, the Legi shows Jansen and Daniel together. I'm not sure if it exists or not. And trucks meeting up and then people leaving and then coming back. And, and all of that. And how this video was even found in the first place seems very odd to me. But... Maybe this should be a consideration. Uh, The reason I say that is now that I'm 250 disappearances in, maybe when Jansen and Daniel's disappearance, how many disappearances had we covered that time? Uh, Maybe not even 100. But it it does stretch my imagination that – for example, Scotty could make both of them disappear at the same time. I mean shoot them or something, and then you know cover it all up. You know this is what experience after five and a half years teaches you. so maybe we need to start looking at some possibilities that don't have anything to do with foul play regarding this disappearance. Maybe somebody wants to actually look at a satellite um map image and see where they were supposed to be that day and uh maybe some good search areas in the water can be found because that's all Adventures with Purpose is doing. Next update, Juanita Nelson. Juanita Jean Nelson was a seventeen year old from Boulder Creek, California. She was the second of five kids and was the most outgoing of them all. On the morning of December thirteenth, nineteen ninety eight, plans were made for Juanita to ride the bus to school, something she rarely did while her mother drove the other children to a different one. When they left, Juanita was home alone. She was never seen again. Um, the update here is, this is, um, as maybe many of you discover have discovered, that I have a pretty good memory when it comes to these disappearances, even though it's 250. Uh, 250 now. And... A lot of these, I have a very good idea of what the year was. Uh, many of them, I can pick out the exact year, but more likely, I know it's kind of in a, a certain time frame. I can say, well, I think that Disappearance was around 2013. Disappearance was around 2005. Juanita is somewhere around 1998. I don't know why I can do that. And certainly with the older cases, it's easier to do because I remember talking about them in terms of, well, there were no cell phones. There was no social media. And then you can start thinking, well, it must be really back, 90s, 80s, 70s. But even myself, there are those intricacies of the disappearances that uh, I sometimes forget. You can't remember everything, people. But a new listener whose name is Nell uh, – was this a man or woman? I didn't write that down. But um, Nell was listening. Uh, I think, once again, new listener and came across Juanita's episode and commented that about something that I, I admit I had totally, totally forgotten about. And that was on the day of the disappearance that Juanita's brother, I think younger brother, had taken her backpack. Uh, That when she – I don't know. When she was getting ready for school or whatever she was doing, he came, uh, got her backpack, emptied everything out of it, and I guess put his stuff in it and left with – like it says in the intro there with her mother. And then when she came out – Juanita was all upset, and what she did was call her grandmother to complain maybe because her mother couldn't be reached. We have to remember this is 1998. Uh, Cell phones weren't widely uh, distributed at that time. The only problem with this story is that the grandmother uh, did not come forward forward with with this story until years later. I, I, as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. So I tried to get that resolved for this update episode. The problem is that uh, I did get uh, the guest for that episode, Juanita's uh, sister, Katie, uh, involved. She is in the discussion group, and she is on Facebook, and although I've not spoken to her in a while, and – I have to admit that after the episode came out, uh, it was a little touchy because of some things that went on. But um, you know, I I, I tagged her <coughs> my um, regarding this comment from this listener, and Katie admitted that even all these years later, she's not asked her brother about that. That um, my brother, just too upset, won't talk about Juanita's disappearance at all. And so I guess what I'm saying is that uh, we're now uh, over 23 years since Juanita is missing. We still don't have a firm answer on that. Does it matter? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, but... This is an illustration of – you would think that this would be something that would be resolved 20-some years later. Did he actually take that backpack? Did she just make that up? Uh, why do we think that the grandmother didn't even mention it until years later? Um, nothing has been done regarding that since the this episode came out sometime – this came out in early 2019 – Um, this was after I just remember it was after I came back to Florida after my mother died, but still we have no answer on that. And it would be nice. You can't, uh, force people to do things, but, um, so we just don't know. So if you've listened to that episode and said, well, whatever became of that backpack story, uh, nothing has come of it yet, even though it's 20 some years later. And like I said, Katie will not ask her brother because it's just too touchy a topic. Next update Barbara Frame. Barbara Sue Frame was a 38 year old from Zanesville, Ohio. She was the mother of three and worked for the, subsidi- for the subsidiary of a car manufacturer. On January 30th, 1985, at approximately 5 p.m., her ex husband came over to tell Barbara. Their divorce lawyer needed to see her. Barbara left her house for this appointment. She was never seen again. Uh, the reason I brought this – bringing this up, um, including this in the update episode, is because you might remember from last year. Uh, somehow, someway, human remains were found uh, in Zanesville, uh, not right down the street from where Barbara lived, but certainly in the city – uh maybe within a mile of uh her house, which isn't crazy s- you know Zanesville is not New York City, so a mile is you know um, not that far uh, and um to my knowledge, I tried to find out if these remain- human remains have been found yet uh no news on this at all uh we don't um know if they were found inside a house with somebody digging somewhere. All we know is these remains were found. Now, you should know there are a couple other people who have gone missing in Zanesville, Ohio over the years. Uh, so even though this happens you know, these remains were found six, eight months ago, no news as to even if, whether it was a man or a woman. And I think we've learned on Unfound how long sometimes DNA results can take. So no update as to these remains that were found last year in Zanesville, Ohio. If they're Barbaras, I I guess what I was – what do I want to say here? I think we all know that foul play is involved in her disappearance. I don't think that's much of a question. The question is um, could her ex-husband be connected to this area where – The uh, the remains were if they end up being Barbara's, then we have to remember we're now talking about thirty seven years ago who lived on that property at the time. Could the ex-husband be connected to it? You know, how did the remains get there? But we don't even know if they're Barbara's yet. Next update, Kamisha Hollis. Kamisha Nicole Hollis was a thirty four year old mother of three from Omaha, Nebraska, She loved going to the gym and worked two jobs. On April 2nd, 2018, Kamisha didn't call her mother like she usually did, and she didn't show up for work. A few days later, Kamisha's car was found at a motel a few miles from her home. She was never seen again. Um, Many of you know, because I've done updates uh, before on her case, is that uh, the father of her children at the time... <clears throat> His name being Marvin Young, uh, was charged originally with first-degree murder, and um, he is going to be taking a plea, and I'm going to re- be uh, – right now read this uh, article written recently. This just happened within, happened within the last couple weeks. A homo- uh, an Omaha man charged with first-degree murder in connection with the homicide of Kamisha Hollis pled to lesser charges Tuesday. Marvin Young, 37, pled no contest to manslaughter, child abuse, and tampering with evidence and the death of 35-year-old Hollis. In 2019, Douglas County prosecutors believed they had enough evidence to prove Young murdered Hollis. He was set to go to trial at the end of this month, April 2022. But as the date drew closer, prosecutors decided to put manslaughter on the table Chief Deputy Attorney Brenda Beetle says there are am- multiple reasons aside from the evidence itself as to why they offered manslaughter. Manslaughter still means that the defendant killed Kamisha and that he did it either intentionally during a sudden quarrel or unintentionally during a felony assault, Beetle said. We asked her why they offered the deal. There's some things that we re- relied upon at the initial stage of this when we filed it that didn't, didn't pan out the way it was presented, Beetle said. Beadle also said it had to do with Hollis's children. In July 2019, detectives testified that Hollis and Young's oldest daughter heard her parents fighting the night of April 1st, 2018. As the night went on, Hollis and Young's daughter heard what she described as loud hitting and her mom screaming, yelling "Stop!" and "Ouch!" A homicide detective said at the hearing. Later that night, police believe Young gave his daughters medicine to make them sleep. Then never saw that they never saw their mother again. All three may have had to testify. Now they won't have to. Obviously, they're struggling as it is, and it's – so it's something that we take very seriously in in our decision-making, Beatles said. Prosecutors said there was a history of domestic violence between the couple. uh, Detectives showed surveillance video. They said placed young Hollis's ex-boyfriend at the 402 Hotel near 24th and Douglas Streets in 2018. Where Young drove Hollis's car. He can reportedly be seen carrying a plastic bag and putting her purse in the trunk of Hollis's vehicle in the parking lot. Detectives tracked Young's cell phone to the Schilling Wildlife Area near Plattsmouth, but despite searches in the area, they never found Hollis's body. Prosecutors still felt they had a case. There isn't any question what happened to her in our mind, Beetle said. Beetle says they're satisfied and that they got the best result they could get. I hope that it brings some closure. Again, you can never have full justice when you can bring their loved one back. Um, I hope that bring, it brings some closure. Again, you can never have full justice when you bring their loved one back. I don't know if that sentence makes sense or not. In 2019, Martha Hollis told KETV Newswatch 7 that it was unusual not to hear from her daughter as they talk every day, and it was also unusual for Kamisha Hollis to leave her three daughters alone. When Kanisha, Misha went missing, I knew it was because of him, Hollis said. Young will be in court again on April 28th, which is tomorrow. For sentencing, he faces up to 31 years in prison. So I guess what we're saying here, uh, end of the article by the way is that he's going to jail, but Kamisha is still missing. And despite searches, as I said in the article in this particular wildlife area, um, she has not been found. And so he's getting this deal. He's going to jail, and he doesn't have to give up where she is, doesn't have to lead them to a body or anything. So why does this happen? It, it's happened several times. Teresa Butler... Is one of those uh disappearances we've covered that's like that. Of course, that guy says he chopped her up, you know, and um and dumped her out in a ditch. I don't believe that. We could also look at Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, the one guy that's still alive. Of course, a lot, you know, you might believe that he doesn't really know anyway, but maybe he does, and they have not been found. He's in jail. Angie Arnell's husband went to jail and is already out. She still has yet to be found. Why does this continue to happen? Why can't they get? Why can't a deal be cut for this? Because you know, I realize this is very difficult, and we don't do the law on on unfound. We're, I'm in the information business, not the legal business and uh i'm not a lawyer of uh, of course as you know i was in a courtroom once last year but i think to the public when it gets to this point you know i i you know i don't like trying to tell people how to do their jobs i really really don't like doing that I try to avoid it, even when it comes to talking about police departments, police officers. I think I try to see both sides of the argument of why investigations aren't be- aren't better into missing persons cases. The problem we have is that too many times, in cases like Kamisha's, we have this deal that's been struck, but there's no explanation from the DA as to why this person wasn't forced. Uh, whoever it is, to um, reveal where the missing person is, where the remains are. Why is there no statement, well, we offered him five years off of his sentence, and he didn't take it? Why isn't that in this article? Is it because it wasn't done? I'm thinking it probably was done, but why isn't it stated publicly? I don't know. Um. It's one of those things where does the prosecution not see that Marvin Young is surely a horrible, 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 as many times you want to say it, person? But I don't know if he is a um, what you might call a serial killer, just, you know, if he were to be let out just going around killing people. Maybe he is. But I think what we've learned after 250 disappearances in disappearances like Kamisha's, for all of these guys, this is a one-time thing. And so it's not like they're keeping a killer uh, – a person who is going to kill again off the streets. They're not doing that. They're trying to keep off the street a guy who killed someone who probably most likely will not kill again. How do we know that? Because most of the guys who've gotten away with crimes like this never do kill again. <laughs> I mean a lot of them, and you'll in, in a couple of weeks I'll be covering a disappearance like this, uh, a guy who probably killed uh, a woman he was engaged to went on to get married, has kids, grandkids, never broke the law again. So I don't know why we – myself and all of you, we still are sitting here after decisions like this wondering why deals can't be made. Now, of course, if the deal is, well, he'll show us where Kamisha is if he doesn't have to do any time at all, then that might get a little crazy. That might be something that maybe is not in the best for the public good maybe. But we never hear about these deals trying to be made. Where is the statement? Well, we tried to make a deal with him. If We would take him out there, and he would point out where Kamisha is so he could return her remains for her family, and he turned down our deal just over and over. I don't know why this is included. Is it because it's not done, or is it because – I just don't know. I don't know what to tell all of you, but it is frustrating. I have, um, as you would expect, I've spoken to Caprice, um, who was the guest for that episode, uh, about this. She's very, very frustrated, as you can certainly imagine, angered, saddened, um, everything else. Um, And I'll just leave it at that. She did send me a message, but I'm not going to, to read it publicly. Oh, this is frustrating. (laughs) Frustrating. I mean, I'm laughing at it because it's so bizarre. That – I guess what I'm saying here is do DAs and prosecutors also need lessons in missing persons cases too? Do we need to get them in front of uh, a bunch of families who've had similar things happen and families say to these people, don't be making deals with these people? Or if you're going to make a deal – don't send this person to jail without finding out where our loved one is. Don't do that. Is this what we need? It may be. Now, you have to understand something. The tough part is that in all of these crimes, there's a reason that uh, in, in criminal crimes, it's Marvin Young versus the state of Nebraska or whoever is whatever it's named. It's not named – Marvin Young versus Kamisha Hollis's family this is uh, any type time this type of crime happens it is considered to be a crime against the people that's why it's the people against the people of New York against the people of Nebraska against Marvin young Jane Doe John Smith and that's why at least the families uh, don't get. Uh, a say in this. uh, But they should. They really should. But it's frustrating, and that's the update. So Marvin Young is going to go to jail. Who knows how many years he's going to get. And Kamisha is still missing. And I don't know how, as a prosecutor, a person in law, you can be happy with this. They should be. Everyone, every lawyer who makes these kind of decisions, prosecutor DA makes these decisions, these decisions, should be embarrassed. Next update, Tyler North. Tyler North was a 27-year-old from Harlan County, Kentucky. He was the father of two and loved hunting and fishing. On the evening of Sunday, June 24th, 2018, Tyler left his sisters. He was allegedly headed home. However, Tyler turned into a local park instead. He was never seen again. Uh, this is certainly one we've done updates on before. His ex-wife, Lena Michelle North, and her boyfriend, Jeremy Lewis, have been charged with Tyler's murder. Um, they're set to go on trial, and fortunately, unlike Kamisha Hollis's, uh, the update for this episode is that remains were found, and just recently, within the last month, those remains were determined scientifically to be Tyler's, so he is deceased, and he was surely murdered. Uh, This is um, the, uh, if you're wondering, given uh, the presentations that I do to college students, this is the disappearance I use when I, uh, as the perfect, perfect example of the idea of luring. The art of luring is the title of that portion of the presentation, and I use Tyler's Uh, How he was lured to that park um, as the perfect example. Of course, there are many others uh, like it in Unfound's catalog, but this one I think is uh, very uh, the best example. So that is the update. Tyler's remains have been identified. Not sure when Jeremy and Michelle will be going on trial. Next update, Janelle Matthews. Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old from Greeley, Colorado. She was in the chorus and had an older, older sister. On December 20th, 1984, Janelle was dropped off at her house after a concert. There was no one home. When her father arrived an hour later, Janelle wasn't there. She was never seen again. Her remains were found in July 2019, 35 years after her disappearance. To, um. Major points um, for Janelle's uh, disappearances updates. Number one, I've still not heard anything. Um, my belief is there is going to be a retrial sometime. Um, that's what uh, the prosecution led everybody to believe back in November of 2021 when, of course, it came to a hung jury on three of the four charges and dare I say it, the most, the three most important charges they hung on. I, and I to this day, I still don't know what the split is, what the jury's how this jury split 50 50 or just one hold out either way. I don't know. I will tell you if I ever find that out, if I'm allowed to tell all of you, I will, but I don't know, but I've still not heard anything, no emails, no calls, and as I've stated uh, a few times since November, I have a real doubt whether I'll get called out there again. I, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I look back at it now, and I I question how important the interview really was for the purposes of a trial. But maybe, and if I do, I'll tell all of you. But I, the first update, once again, I've not heard anything I thought a decision was supposed to be made by this month. It hasn't been. So I'm not sure what to think of that. Maybe everything got pushed back. Maybe the prosecution saying, do we really want to do all of this again? But you should know, Steve Pankey is still in jail. So there's that. Uh, The other update would be that back at the end of January, I was contacted by, by a TV production company in England called Wild Dream Films, and they had heard about Janelle Matthews' murder. They heard about the trial. They heard about Steve Pankey, and because of all of that, they tracked me down, and I now have a a contract with them, a handshake, although I did sign something, but you know what I mean, Um, kind of a loose agreement with them that uh, they are going to try to get a series made regarding all of this, and using me as a source, and I'm hoping you know maybe I'll get to host it or something. I don't know, but they are currently uh, they put together a a trailer like a sales pitch type of trailer because nothing nothing's been made yet, so you can't call it a trailer. It's just a pitch reel. And part of it is me. They had uh, interviewed me back when I was still in Pennsylvania. That's how far that goes back Uh, in February, uh, asking me some questions, pointed questions, and they recorded it. And then spliced that into a reel combined with all the news, uh, all the coverage that uh, Janelle Matthews' case has got, even going back to 1984 uh I've seen it in fact very very coincidentally I got to see it today April 27th of 2022 I actually had a talk with the guys putting it all together uh who put it all together who's trying to get this series uh this series idea sold he and I had a Zoom conversation this morning and I got to see it for the first time it was really well done really really and you know me I'm fairly picky about TV stuff and how people go about their business, Um, when it comes to disappearances and how they're covered, I thought this reel was fantastic, and I'm not just saying that because I was in it, but I thought it was really good. even had Ronald Reagan's clip of him talking about Janelle Matthews during the State of the Union address, address, uh, what was that, in early 1985, a little bit of everything from back then, more recent, and then me spliced in there. Uh, and then also some clips of me interviewing Steve Steve um answering some of my questions, and then Steve some of his political uh, videos that he made they were spliced in there a little bit of everything in it with music and you know quick edits, you know how they do it, but it was fantastic. Is it gonna go anywhere? who knows in fact we that was one of the conversations um. This guy's name is Michael, and I had this morning that you know TV's a tough gig, so we'll see if it happens. I hope it does. Certainly deserves it, and you know the the big question is: does it help it that there was a hung jury, or does it hurt trying to get something like that made? I don't know, but uh, so uh, I have a. Like I said, a, a handshake agreement, although there's a contract that I signed. I'm not allowed – all it says really is that I'm not allowed to talk to or work with any other production companies right now regarding Janelle Matthews' uh, murder. Anybody else wants to talk to me about any any other thing that Unfound has, has done, I can do that. Just can't talk to anybody else right now Uh Doing any business, any videos or TV shows or anything like that with anybody else right now, so which is fine. And uh, so those are the two updates. Uh, no news on a new trial yet, and me having this agreement with this uh, UK TV production company. They're trying to put a Janelle Matthews Matthews series together. Next update: Ronald McNutt. Ronald Todd McNutt was a 44-year-old from Corning, California. He was the father of two and had many different jobs over his adult life. On May 4th, 2004, Ronald dropped off his step-grandson at school. He was supposed to go to work after that. Ronald never arrived. He was never seen again. And to go further, uh, his truck with a, a body in it was found what, year 2015, 2016, It was found after a wildfire went through a certain area in Northern California. And still here as of April 27th, 2022, we still don't know who that was in the truck. And Leslie, uh, his daughter, who was the guest for that episode, even stated recently, the story she continues to get, that the fire was damaging enough ...that they could not get any DNA samples from the remains that were inside the truck. I guess we're just going to have to take that as the truth. Maybe we're going to have to wait until uh, DNA or some sort of science catches up. But I think it's safe to say that that was Ronald in there. Now, why he was up there and why he and the truck went over the side of that uh, hill uh, mountain on that windy road... He skipped work. That's usually a bad sign. But I think we can all be pretty satisfied with the idea that that it, those are his remains in the truck. Although I can certainly understand that Leslie and her family certainly want um, 100% assuredness short, that that those are his, or they're not his. So, um, but if you're wondering about that, I I get this question asked at least once a month. Usually by somebody who's finding unfound for the first time. Uh, At least once once a month, somebody comes across that episode and contacts me and saying, "You know, whatever happened with that?" And I have to tell them, "Still not identified." So that's the update. Still not identified. Next update, Jesse Ross. Jesse William Ross was a 19-year-old from Gravois Mills, Missouri. He was a DJ and was on the verge of starting a career in radio. In the early morning hours of November 21, 2006, Jesse was in Chicago at a student seminar. During a break, he left the conference room. His friends thought he'd be right back. He was never seen again. Uh, The update for this one is very similar to what it was for Evelyn Hartley. Uh, We had a chance, uh, Dr. Telesco and I, to discuss uh, Jesse's disappearance. In fact, it was the most recent show that I did with Dr. Telesco in March of 2022. And uh, so if you missed that, uh, that's on YouTube, uh, like I stated for the Evelyn Hartley uh, update. Uh, you can find that on the Fischler College of Education and the School of Criminal Justice channel on YouTube. And um, please become a subscriber over at that channel. They do a lot of uh, good work. They may only have me on there once a month, but they do a lot of other good work on there. Uh, some sociodramas uh, that are interesting. That I'm not sure how many schools do that out there, but uh, very interesting. Uh, you might want to check that out. Very unique. And uh, they do have other interviews with other people. There's an author that's on there once in a while talking about serial killers. So uh, we had a chance to talk about Jesse's disappearance, and um, it was interesting because, of course, Jesse was a college student. And I'm talking to Dr. Teleska, who is a college professor, and then her assistant, who, of course, is a, uh, a college student who I think is graduating uh, here very shortly. So he, uh, as a college student, got to uh, talk from his point of view as a college student. In fact, I even asked him before the show was over, um, as a college student, how do you look at – if we're to believe that Jesse, let's say, uh, committed suicide, You know, walked off and harmed himself somewhere, could this have to do with stress from school, want, you know, wanting to achieve things? And so uh, Dr. Telesco's Telesco's assistant had a chance to talk about that a little bit. So uh, if you haven't watched any of those Dr. Telesco shows that I've done with her, you should do that. I know we have a huge, huge, huge podcast audience. I'd love it if more of you went and watched some of those videos that I've done with Dr. Telesco. She's a fantastic person, former NYPD Uh, So knowledgeable about so much stuff. So check that out on their channel. Next update, Mary Mary Jane Van Gilder. Mary Jane Van Gilder – why do I keep saying that wrong? Mary Jane Van Gilder was a 34-year-old living alone in Shelby, Ohio. She was a mother of five and worked at a World War II depot. Around the beginning of April of 1945, Mary Jane's oldest daughter, who lived in West Virginia, started receiving the letters back that she had tried to mail to her mother. Mary Jane had seemingly moved without giving a forwarding address. She was never seen again. The update here is that very recently, within maybe the last three weeks, Detective Adam Turner, who is from uh, Shelby, Ohio, who, whose responsibility it is, all these years later still for Mary Jane's disappearance. Of course he was the guest way back when. He was also uh, on Unfound. He was just uh, interviewed by a friend of the program, John Lorden, on YouTube. And I uh, had a chance to watch it. Of course both did a fantastic job. But Adam has a book coming out about Mary's Mary Jane's disappearance and, and his work on it. So... Uh, maybe you should check that out uh contact him i know he's on facebook and if you haven't seen that interview that he's done with uh john go to lord and arts on youtube you can watch it for yourself so i think there's a book that's going to be coming out by detective turner you might want to check that out if you found mary jane's disappearance to be compelling enough to read about it uh it is still by the way The oldest disappearance ever covered on Unfound. Next update, Jacob Paddock Weeks. Jacob Cameron Paddock Weeks was a 27-year-old from Arvada, Colorado. He had worked with his father and loved the outdoors. On February 2nd, 2019, somebody resembling Jacob was speeding on Route 285 near Indian Hills in Colorado. In a turn, Jacob's truck hit the inside guardrail and came to a stop facing traffic. The person got out and walked um, and walked away. He was never seen again. And of course, this person driving the truck is, was presumed to be Jacob. The update here is within the last six weeks, I'm going to say. Uh, remains, a skull maybe, remains were found in the general area of where Jacob went missing, uh, upon further review, it was quite a ways from where the, the truck wrecked. However, you just never know. Uh, if we're to believe that Jacob ran off, who knows how far he could run. You just don't know. Um, being it's February in Colorado, the weather he might be limited there, but you can't tell. We also have to consider that Jacob did have a drug problem. That might also cause him to uh, run farther than a person who might not be on something would. Let's just say if it was methamphetamine, that would certainly cause somebody to, to be a little more hyper about running. Uh, that's why uppers are used illegally. Athletes try to get away with that. So maybe it wasn't. Totally crazy to think that this uh, might be Jacob, but it was a distance from where the car uh, – from the, where his truck was wrecked. And maybe even more importantly, uh was discovered that there were at least a couple people who went missing much closer to where these remains were found, much closer to the remains than where Jacob went missing from. So odds are – that it's one of those people and not Jacob. But at least people are. I think these remains were found by accident. I don't think there was a search or anything going on. Somebody's gonna get some answers somewhere, which is good. But it's good that uh, sometimes these things happen. It keeps Jacob's name out there. Other times, when other remains are found, even if it's not an unfound disappearance, Put some of these people's names back in the paper because some reporter will write, well, these are people who disappeared in the general area. Um, It could be a possibility. So, um, but Jacob's name did get mentioned when these remains were found, but they were not Jacob. Next update, Vanessa Sue Orin. Vanessa Sue Oren was a 56-year-old from LaBarge, Wyoming. She was a mother and had lived in several states. Sometime during March 2016, people who usually saw her around LaBarge stopped encountering her. Her boyfriend told people Vanessa got into a truck with some men and left. She was never seen again. The update is that there's really – there it doesn't seem, at least publicly, anything came from this warrant that they served on Pete Petrie's place last summer. You'll remember this warrant was served. Pete uh, was asked to leave his property for a while so the police could do their business. And while they were doing that, Pete shot himself, committed suicide. But uh, I've not heard anything um, from Tinker. In fact, I haven't talked to her for a while. I have, to, I have to see what's going on with her. But um, no updates, even though that was a big deal, warrants being served That sounded like a big deal, especially on a disappearance that at that point would have been over five years old. It doesn't seem like anything came from it, and certainly not uh, Vanessa's remains being found. So you might remember that from last summer. You're wondering what's going on. Did, that Was it fruitful? Doesn't sound like it. Next update, Unique Harris. Unique Raquel Leona Harris was a 24-year-old from Washington, D.C. She was the mother of two and was getting ready to go to massage therapy school. On the night of October 9th, 2010, Unique put her children and cousin to bed. When the kids woke up that next morning, Unique was gone. She was never seen again. Uh, Last year, Isaac Moy... Uh, was charged with her murder, but uh, maybe like Kamisha Hollis's, we still don't have any remains. Uh, but Isaac, um, there's no deal or anything. I don't even think there's a trial date or anything. But, and that's really the update. If you're wondering about that, you know that uh, if you've listened to a previous update, you know that Isaac Moy was charged with unique Harris's disappearance. Well, to my knowledge, no trial date. I could not find anything regarding uh, a trial, whether it's going to happen anytime too soon. And we have to remember, if we really want to get crazy with this, Carlos Rodriguez has been charged with Zoe Campus's murder since 2018, and still there's no trial there. So uh, this just happened last year. So we may not see a trial for Isaac Moy until 2025 or something like that. Let's hope not. But I don't think that that is out of the realm of possibility. So if there was a trial date, I would give it to you, but there is none. Okay, next update, Jody Husentrout. Jody Sue Husentrout was a 27-year-old from Mason City, Iowa. She was a reporter and had dreams of hosting a national news show. In the early morning hours of June 27, 1995 jody left for work however she never arrived Jody's possessions would later be found strewn across her apartment's parking lot she was never seen again the update here is I continue to although I've not listened to the the most recent episode uh to be honest so Caroline love you're listening out there uh, I'll get to it but they're up to episode 31. On uh, the Fine Jody podcast, and everyone that I've listened to so far, all the first thirty have been excellent. And there's in fact been a couple episodes that have been published since I did the last update episode on here back in December of 2021. So you know, all of you, all of you know, I don't listen to really any other true crime podcasts. This is the the only one that I listen to. Uh, And I think it's certainly worth it. So uh, if you're not listening to it, you should be because uh, they continue to put out high-quality material, maybe not like every week like Unfound does. uh, But it seems to me they release about one episode a month, something like that. So uh, you should be checking out the Find Jody podcast. The most recent episode, uh, they had an FBI profiler on there so that's the update okay next update chance engelbert chance leslie engelbert was a 25 year old from moorcroft wyoming he was a married father and was in the process of changing careers on july 6th 2019 while in gearing nebraska chance walked off after getting into a disagreement with his wife's family an hour later, Chance was caught on video walking by himself. He was never seen again. The update here, um, and I guess this is one of those things. Just when you thought that Phil Klein was only going to be the only private investigator that gets mentioned on this uh, update episode, uh, it turns out that I'm going to mention another one in kind of the same vein. Um, you know, I don't. Talk about my theories regarding disappearances very publicly. I'm not saying – of course, I have gone public once in a while, certainly. I'm not perfect, and I'm not looking for perfection. I never let perfection be the enemy of good. But for the most part, you know I shy away from doing that. Uh, And so when it comes to Chance's disappearance, and this is not to – uh, be negative or uh, have blinders on or anything else. And I'm certainly, as, uh, as I keep saying, as facts change, theories change. But the facts speak to me to a situation where Chance was distraught about what was going on with him, uh, changing jobs, his family, his wife. Her family seemed to be very very touchy about his situation in life, his position in life at that point. And I don't know why anybody would be surprised if he walked off, which he did. There's video of it, two places, not just one, but two places. And neither of them are anywhere near where he started. And in the last video that he's seen – on he's not walking back in the direction of where he started at you know, his wife's family's house and I, I have to tell you, I have to be honest I don't, I'm not saying it didn't happen but this is one of those situations I don't know why people um, default to the most complicated of circumstances we know that 99.9-something percent of the time, when these disappearances are solved, no matter if it's a suicide, a murder, an accident, an overdose, whatever, usually what you find out is that what happened is fairly, fairly straightforward. Not all the time, but most of the time. There are no facts in Chance's disappearance to support the idea that he was murdered by anybody. So then it's weird to me when somebody comes in, and I can tell you this private investigator, Lynn DeSanto, certainly does not have as much missing persons experience as I do. In fact, I would probably guess she doesn't have as much missing persons experience as most of you do if you've listened to, like, let's just say, at least 100 of Unfound's episodes and really listened to them, really listened to the facts, listened to the guests. Uh, listen to my summation, the summary, and everything else. Maybe go and absolutely do some reading for yourselves. Maybe watch some of the map videos that I do on YouTube. You know, read articles. If you've done that, you probably know more about missing persons cases than 99. We're going to that number again. 99.9 something percentage of private investigators out there. And so this uh, private investigator, Linda Santos, getting involved And what she's doing, what she's doing, is she doing? She's going up to Chance's wife's house with a camera trying to get uh, Chance's wife on video. The wife is calling the police. What's this woman doing? Get her out of here. This is what – nobody should do this. Nobody. Zero. Zero, zero, zero. I was against it. When, you know, some of the times that come to mind, they tried to do this with John Van Syce regarding Jody Hoosentrude's disappearance. They kind of just show up as, at his door with the camera already on. That is horrible, horrible journalism. Horrible. And uh, Payne Lindsay, uh, when he was, um, what was he doing? He was working on some disappearance. I do not think it was Tara Grinstead's, but he was working on something. He did that exact same thing. Horrible. All it does, that is just for effect. It is for the drama. It is for sensationalism. None of that has ever worked getting anybody in trouble anywhere for anything. So when you hear about people doing that, I think they know that. If I'm an adult, I'm 51 years old, I think adults know that. So when somebody does it, You have to be thinking they're not really doing it for factual reasons, for information collection reasons. They're doing it for the sensationalism of it. Look at me. And this is what this feels like. On top of everything, obviously the reason that she's showing up at Chance's wife's house is because she thinks – and with the camera already on is she thinks that somebody in the wife's family did something to Chance. And there is no proof of that. There's no proof of that. If anybody wants to su- give me any facts regarding that, I'm willing to look at them. But there are no facts to support that. After Chance is seen the second time on that one doorbell camera, he's never seen again. You know, the problem we run into, and I, and I feel for his family. You know, you can go back and listen to, to the interview that I did with his mother. I feel for their entire family. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. I do. But they should not be supporting stuff like that. They should not get wrapped up in these people who want to come in and all they do is sensationalize. That's what Phil Klein is doing. That's what this woman is doing. Not making any headway. Despite everything that Phil Klein has done, and I know already – but this is just an example. Since he got involved in 2016, late 2016, there are no facts. He – remember – Phil Klein did not find Tom Brown. Pine Gregory did. Remember that. So, when it comes to Lynn Santo and Chance Engelbert's disappearance, here's what I think I know. Five years from now, we won't know any more facts regarding Chance's disappearance unless he is found deceased somewhere, which I'm hoping he's not deceased. I'm hoping that he's still alive and well. I don't know why he walked off. Pressure got to him, want to start a new life. I guess that would be the best case scenario. But here's what I know. Linda Santo, she could live to be 150. She's not going to find any facts or anything to prove that Chance was murdered. That's what I'm pretty 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 pretty, pretty sure about that. And the way she is going about it tells me that she doesn't know what she's doing. On top of everything else, if she wants to go about it in a very discreet manner, a modest manner, a humble manner, behind the scenes, working with Chance's family, and she wants to still believe that Chance was murdered, then that might be a little different. But I'm telling all of you families out there, friends of missing people, anybody out there who's listening, I wouldn't get a private investigator anyway, period, at all. But if you do, and if that person comes in like Phil Klein, like Linda Santo – You should absolutely 100% right at that point dismiss them. I can't say it enough. They're nothing but attention seekers. Don't do that. Don't let them do that. The the reason they do it is because they've gotten away with it before. They think they're going to get away with it again. And unfortunately, too many families get caught up in it thinking, oh, this person's really going to work for me. These people and the families don't understand, although I'm trying to change that. That this is just pomp and circumstance. This is just bread and and circuses. This is not real investigative work. You know how I know? Because that's what Dr. Telesco says, former NYPD. That's what she says. Other police officers who I've talked to behind the scenes, who are retired, who I respect, say the same thing. As one of them said a few years ago, private investigators are nothing but media whores. Forgive Forgive my language remember that so that's the update they have some crazy private investigator involved putting cameras in people's faces um you know she said she was looking into native american disappearances and then came upon chances i I don't remember this and i'll admit that i didn't go back and check this is chance part native american if he is okay But it just struck me as weird as if you read what she had to say I was getting involved in Native American. I wanted to really get involved in Native American disappearances. Then all of a sudden uh, she's um, looking into chances. If that came up in the interview and I forget, I apologize. But I have to admit I didn't realize that he was part Native American. Maybe he's not. Either way, she's going about this the wrong way. She obviously doesn't know what she's doing. There you go. Next update, Randy Duran – Randy Stewart-Duran was a 22-year-old from Sacramento County, California. He was a former Marine and loved to write songs. In the spring of 1978, Randy moved to New Orleans to start a new life. Once he got there, Randy sent a message to his family that he was okay. He was never seen again. Or was he? The only update here is uh, something that did not happen before that episode came out was me talking to Randy's mother uh, – Randy's mother. Uh, if you remember, uh, I talked to his sister uh, regarding his disappearance. Uh, I had a, I finally did have an exchange with his mother. Um, of course, can't go into uh, a lot of the particulars, but – uh I was certainly honest with her, as I am with any person, any family member connected to a missing person that you know I told her just not a lot of facts. I told her that second postcard. I do not believe that that was um from Randy. I think that was just some weird coincidence. Why didn't he sign it? Why didn't he mention any of his family? Why didn't he? Why didn't he? Why didn't he? We just don't know. And uh, I told her it was telling that he sends a postcard, but he gives no way in which anybody in his family could get back in contact with him. Not even – you know, no address, not even a phone number for where he was working, nothing certainly telling it it could have meant that maybe he wasn't planning on staying there very long but that's not said in the postcard so just um still very hard to say and it doesn't help that this disappearance is over 40 years old um hard to say but uh as you would expect I'm always honest with these people about what I think, even though sometimes a lot of times I can't tell you what I say to them because these are conversations that are off the record. However, I think this situation was a little different because these are things I've said publicly. Next update, Rashawn Francis. Rashawn Anthony Francis was a 42-year-old from Scranton, Pennsylvania. He was originally from New York City and loved music. On November 6th, 2018, Rashawn called his mother to say people were after him and that they were going to kill him. He then hung up. Rashawn did not answer any following calls. He was never seen again. The update here is that Rashawn's disappearance got national attention on the News Nation Now network in February, and I was on there myself. This is the first appearance that I've made on a national TV show um, I think it happened because Roshan's mother got interviewed, and I think she mentioned the podcast, mentioned me, and then a producer on this channel contacted me saying uh, that she would like me to come on and speak about Rishon's, uh disappearance, whatever I had to say. Uh, it was interesting. Um, if you watched it or maybe you DVR'd it or something, really I did not – Except for this producer I just had an email exchange with. I really didn't even talk to anybody actually at the channel. The way it worked is they gave me a link to log into. And then at a certain time I was to log in. And then I had um, – was I wearing maybe the buds or something? And then all of a sudden somebody comes in my ear like three minutes to go. Then two minutes to go and 30 seconds to go. And the host is there. I did not speak to the host at all before I was on the air. And then all of a sudden I was on the air, and she's talking to me, asking me these questions. They had given me an idea of what um, what she would ask me. And there I was. My dad was – this was when I was up in Pennsylvania. And my dad was in the other room uh, watching News Nation now. And so, as I'm just one like couple rooms away, I'm on there live, and he's watching me on the TV. So he's watching it, and I was on there for a few minutes, and then it was over. Um, just very interesting how that all comes together. They're just telling you they just expect you to be there, and they tell you here, here it comes thirty seconds. You better be ready. Video two, a uh, video also, I should say, and um. So there it was, and that's something I think that uh, is now on <clears> – <throat> did I uh, put that on our YouTube channel? I'm not sure. I tried to DVR it, but my dad's DVR wouldn't work. But I do know it's on YouTube somewhere, and I think I linked to it uh, through our website, uh, theunfoundpodcast.com. As far as R- Rashawn's disappearance, uh, I, I, ca- I continue to believe something was going on with him mentally, and he walked off but. Uh, I would certainly like to do more of those types of uh, appearances. I enjoyed it. I thought it went very well. And I have been in contact with that particular producer on News Nation now since then. However, nothing has been lined up for me to appear on there uh, again, at least anytime soon. But this came together in just like a couple days. So it could happen. I could be telling you this, this episode coming out on... Uh, April 29th, and it very well may be like next Wednesday. I'm on News Nation now, so you never know how these things are going to work out. Next update, Audrey Heron. Audrey Mae Heron was a 31-year-old from Freehold, New York. She was a nurse and the mother of three. On the night of August 29th, 2002, Audrey left her job in Catskill to make the 20-minute drive home. Audrey never arrived. She and her Jeep were never seen again. I have to tell you, my perception is that this disappearance uh, has gotten a little more higher profile since Unfound's coverage. I'm not saying it has everything to do with our coverage. I think it's uh, a combination of things. I think one of it was our coverage, along with me doing a map analysis and showing that – the odds of her and her Jeep going into a um, a body of water on the way home are, are are practically none. There's that creek or whatever it is. It is not deep enough to hide a Jeep, just not. So I think part of, it's been partly that. I think it's also, though, that I think when people start now today, start thinking about people going missing with their vehicles, they think of, Adventures with purpose in the work they're doing. Although I'm not sure that their work would be relevant to this, because they do work mostly in water. And if Audrey was going directly home, then she did. Like I said, she did not go past the lake, a retention pond, a river that could hide her and her vehicle. Even if she, you know, like Esther Westenbarger blew a stop sign, or she was drinking. You know, Audrey was just coming off work. But even if she fell asleep at the wheel. No chance that she went into any body of water. There's just nothing there. Still, though, people equate – I think are starting to equate cars and people ending up in bodies of water. Maybe not a, a, a horrible logic. Now, although just having said that, that's part of it. Our coverage, I think Adventures Purpose, raising the uh, the knowledge about people, how often that happens, although it's still a very, very small percentage – But I think also what has contributed to this in in a way is this disappearance of Rosemary Rodriguez, who – she also went missing with her car, and searches were done of a couple – a river nearby that surely could have hid her and her car and, and some other areas, some other bodies of water. Nothing was found, and then it turns out her car and she were found on land. And on top of that, if you would have been looking at a particular, it wasn't a satellite view, it was a view, I think, done by a helicopter in that area where she went missing, they do land appraisal or something by taking a picture of people's land. Well, like I said, I don't think it's by satellite. It's, I think, actually by plane, something like that. And in one of those pictures, you can see her car where it was eventually found. Amazing. It's really – and the, the, the weird thing is if you go to Google Earth, which is what I usually use in such circumstances, the car is there. You can't see it. It was a picture, satellite picture taken around the same time you can't see it because it maybe it's not um fine enough the resolution is not good enough and the way the sun was when the picture was taken the trees like were shadowing where the car was because the weird thing was it was certainly in the middle of these trees but it was kind of like in a little clearing so if you were absolutely 100% directly above the car even way up in the air you could see down into the – through the trees and see it. But if you were at any angle, you couldn't. And I think that's also a factor for Google Earth that the picture was kind of taken from the side, not directly overhead, whereas this appraisal picture was taken directly overhead, and you can see the car. So this, I think, also, being that this was such big news, all of that put together, I think, has raised the profile of Audrey's – Uh, Case And I think now people are wondering, are there places in New York that also do this kind of appraisal using uh, not satellites but actually instead just planes with high-resolution photography like maybe like they used to do with spy planes back like during the Cold War or something? Um, People are now trying to find photos like that for the area that Audrey would have – the area – you know that she would have taken um, the the routes that she would have taken the possible routes and looking at those types of photos instead of Google Earth Pro photos, very interesting. Um, I continue to believe there was no foul play. Uh, I've convinced myself that uh, she took some other way home. In fact, I think she might have been taking the direction home in going. She was just going to go to where her daughter. Remember her daughter was coming back from Florida. She might've been on the way to, was it the grandmothers and something happened going there and not headed on the way home. She wasn't headed home. Still an idea I have. Maybe that will um, bear fruit one of these days. Next update, Lonnie Rogers, Lonnie Ray Rogers, Lonnie to those who loved her most was a 29-year-old from Sagertown, Pennsylvania. She was deaf and the mother of two. On the night of January 7th, January seventh, nineteen 1981, Lonnie was at home with her children and husband. After putting the kids to bed, Lonnie's husband claimed she left with another man. She was never seen again. Of course, nobody believes that story. Um, the updates are uh, Allison, uh, Lonnie's daughter, who was the guest for the episode. She has a book out. It's called A Daughter's Journey and A Story of Resilience. And uh, it sounds to me like the book sales are going very well. Uh, I think you can find this book on Amazon and elsewhere. I don't know if it's like hard copies at bookstores across the United States or anything. But uh, you certainly can uh, find it online if you do a search for A Daughter's Journey and A Story of Resilience. Uh, Allison's name is Allison Dyker, D-U-I-K-E-R, if you'd like to check that book out. I have not read it. I, um, I don't even have a copy of it. That's nothing against Allison, but um, uh, I hope you will check it out. Uh, unlike, uh, although I will admit on the other hand, I did uh, have read Mark Heimbaugh's, uh, the book that Rich McHale wrote. But it's a little bit uh, different situation there. I'd certainly be, inter- be interested in reading Allison's book, although I don't know where I'd find time right now. But uh, may, I hope to one of these days. And if anybody does read it, I hope you will tell me about it uh, if you enjoyed it and some of the some of the important points in it. In addition, there was a recent search and dig looking for Lonine. And uh, nothing was found. This was a tip that came in somewhat recently that they thought that, um, you know, they'd look into it. I, I don't know how, where this area is in contrast to what we talked about in the um, interview. But there was video of it. There was a backhoe there. It wasn't just people in shovels. There was a backhoe there doing some digging. Uh, nothing was found. I think that, unfortunately, this is the way it goes most of the time. You get these tips many, many years later, and they don't pan out. Uh, unfortunately, when it gets to this point, it's almost like like with Janelle Matthews. It's luck. It's complete 100% luck that they ran across her remains. You have to remember with Janelle Matthews, uh, kind of like Tom Brown, only the top half of her was found. So... Her legs are somewhere. We don't know where. Um, and that's often how it happens. I'm certainly – don't hope that that's in this situation. I'm hoping uh, with uh, Lonene's case that they, they continue to work on it and get a and try to narrow it down. And certainly if we believe that Allison's father did this, he only could have put her so many places. There's only so many choices. But that is what has transpired since the episode, this book and this recent uh, search and dig. Next update Paul Sanders. Paul David Sanders was a 17 year old from Mesa, Arizona. He was originally from Missouri and very athletic. On August 14, 2001, someone, the person may or may not have been Paul, driving Paul's truck was pulled over by law enforcement in Tucson. A chase ensued in which the driver escaped. The truck was later found wrecked several miles away with no signs of Paul. He was never seen again. Uh, The update here is my assistant, Carrie, um, who – I I think I can say this – lives in Missouri, uh, has uh, decided to be kind – work with Jessica, Paul's sister, in trying to um, work on this case, get paperwork uh, etc regarding all of this uh, and of course Carrie has a lot of experience in is, in this area former 911 operator knows how the courts work how uh, has a lot of familiarity with police procedure and it's also convenient that Paul's sister Jessica who is the guest also lives in Missouri so they i think are hoping to get together one of these days and I hope they will let me know how that goes so I want to give a deep appreciation, uh, give a shout-out to my assistant, Carrie, who has chosen to get involved and try to help uh, Jessica. Of course, this disappearance is now coming up on 21 years old. Uh, hopefully, they can make some headway of, uh, of some kind. And so, Carrie, thank you uh, for volunteering your free time to help Jessica. Okay, this is going to be the final update for the regular Friday podcast episodes. This would be uh, Marianne Verdecchia, Marcella Carlson, and Mary Regan. Marianne Verdecchia was a 10 year old from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She was raised by her aunt and loved to visit people in the neighborhood. Marianne disappeared on June 7th, 1962. Her mystery was the last of three still-unsolved cases to occur not just in the same building but on the same floor over the course of four years. A woman, Mary Regan, was murdered, and two people, Marcella, Carlsey, and Marianne, were never seen again. The update is the – you'll remember that the guest – well, we had two guests. Uh, We had, of course, Therese Rocco, who was the original investigator into Marianne's – Disappearance, And we also had Sharon Leotis, who I guess you would say is uh, Therese's uh, assistant, and she is a filmmaker, and she has made this documentary about Therese that I think all of you should find on Google Play. Uh, I watched it uh, before the episode came out. It is uh, really, really good. Everything that Therese went through – Uh, A lot of setbacks she had in her career, uh, being overstepped because of her gender. Um, Interesting documentary. I I would recommend it to anyone. But Sharon and uh, Therese uh, were both guests for this episode. And the update is that there's this one – I think we even talked about this, I think, during the uh, interview – that there is this one-woman play that is now being put on in the Pittsburgh area conveniently or coincidentally – Right as this episode, this update episode, is coming out, and I will just read this. Uh, The Epitome of Grace, which will feature critically acclaimed actress Cindy Swanson as Chief Rocco, will kick off at Oakland Catholic High School Joan of Arc Theater on April 23rd at 7 p.m., followed by a matinee performance on April 24th at 2 p.m. Performances will also be held at the Heritage Players Theater Seton Center Brookline on April 30th, so in a couple days, at 7 p.m. and May 1st at 2 p.m., both locations have meaning in Chief Rocco's life. Oakland Catholic High School is Chief Rocco's alma mater, and Brookline has been her lifelong neighborhood. Of course, these now at the airing of this episode, the two first two performances are already passed, but the the two, one will be tomorrow, April 30th, and then the next one will be on Sunday, May 1st. These are in the Pittsburgh area. Of course, it would not be, I I don't think, convenient for anybody outside the area to show up. But if you're so interested, maybe you live in West Virginia or, I don't know, eastern Ohio, if you want to make the drive, please do so. I wish I was near there. I would be going. But that's going on, and maybe this is something that can be – You know, uh, hopefully, I guess what I'm saying is I I hope these aren't the last performances. I hope this is popular, does well, and then they can bring this to other cities, and maybe then I'll get to see it. Um, Maybe it will also be videoed. Maybe they will um, film it and make it available on Google Play if you pay, like the, the, the documentary. I don't know. So maybe somebody will film part of it and put it on YouTube. If that's the situation, I'll let all of you know. But that is the update, this one-woman play with Cindy Swanson portraying Chief Rocco uh, living out uh, or scenes from – or portraying scenes from Teresa's life, those important moments. Uh, I have to tell you I haven't seen the screenplay or the, the, the play, just the play. Um, but I'm wondering if Marianne Verdeckia's disappearance is part of this, uh, plays a role in all of this. This is part of this, uh, play, uh, what was going through Teresa's mind at the time. Does this actress portray that in this play? That would certainly be interesting for me to know. And right now, as I do this update, I don't know that, but that's what's going on. Um, and that completes all the updates for the regular Friday episodes. As for updates for the Unfound Now episodes, this is the monthly program that I do – I started doing in July of 2022. I think the most recent episode is number 22, so 20 – yeah, that would be right. Um, This most recent one that uh, I just uh, videoed and made, it's now available on YouTube for the members, you, the rest of the public – uh, we'll get it next week, um, but this was episode 22 of Unfound Now. As far as updates for any of those, the only one I have is for Jason Landry. Just not a lot going on in these disappearances. This is very sad, although I will say with Kirsten Bruggeman's disappearance, it does seem to me that that page or that group, it seems like more people are posting there. I don't know what it is. It seems like it's getting – her disappearance is getting more and more attention. Now, you have to remember that's a disappearance that's – that happened on January 2nd of 2021. So we have about a month – a year and four months since she went missing. It just seems more and more people are uh, posting there saying, you know what? I know that area or I go to that YMCA and I know that fence. There's a hole in it, things like that. Uh, does seem like more people were talking about that particular one. But other than that, nobody has been found. And these are all very recent disappearances. So for Jason Landry, there was another uh, a search within the last four months. And of course, uh, if he had been found, I surely would have told everybody. But once again, he was not found. No remains, nothing. Um, the other update. Is that there's some group, private investigator group uh, trying to figure this out. Somebody saying that he believes that, yes, there's reason to believe that Jason was abducted. And I think all these people, I just once again, going back to the, the private investigator I just mentioned for Chance Engelbert, I don't think any of these people know what they're doing. They jump in with both feet. They start spouting off, saying things. Just do the work. You do not need to let people know what you're doing. Just do the work. Just do it. You don't need to – there's no reason to appear in front of cameras or anything. All you have are theories. Anybody can come up with theories. This is why I don't like talking about my own theories publicly because anybody can do that. You're the one who says you want to investigate it. Go investigate it. Go get some facts. And so for this person, this group, I'm not even going to give them the time of day to mention who he is and what the group is called. But I think I have on an unfound live from a few months ago. Um, it just sounds crazy to me. There, there are no facts to believe that Jason got picked up by somebody or was carjacked or got run off the road. Or anything else? None. Zero. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it's just weird to me when people get involved and that's what they automatically default to, despite there being no facts. It's just weird. But that's the only Unfound Now update I have of all 22 episodes that we've done. Now, it should be known, though, that about the first... Strangely enough, like the first... Six missing people we covered on Unfound now have all been found in a row. Just the first one, Linda Stoltfus, right up through, I think, Alan White. They have all been found. Everyone after that, I think, starting with Jane, Jason Landry, has not been found. Why that is, I don't know. Very weird statistical anomaly there, I guess. Now I humbly ask... If you could please pause whatever you are doing as we remember all of the missing people featured on Unfound and Unfound Now. Suzanne Lyle, Jason Jolkowski, Jesse Foster, Rose Marie Gayhart, Ben Charles Padilla, Kelly Rothwell, Joshua Guimond, Donnie Smatlak, Andrea Bowman, Robin Abrams, Regina Marie Boss, Christopher Hyde, Jeff Nichols, Rebecca Gary, James Walker, Teresa Butler, Charlotte Paulus, Lola Catherine Fry, Eric Franks, Jeff Joseph, Donna Mikalenko, David Medot, Kent Monroe, and Omar Shear, Claudia Wells, Peggy and Patty McDaniel, Shannon Turner, Brandy Wells, Kleshindra Hall, Ronnie Russell, Esther Westenbarger, Shane Fell, Ashley Eifert, Brandon Williams, Craig Freer, Pamela Golden, Chip Campbell, Amanda Deguio, the passengers and crew of Flight 370, April Pitzer, Jennifer Wilkerson, Kent Jacobs, Aaron Gilbert, Tammy Leppert, Crystal Morrison, Chris Turner, Linda K. Carroll, Nikki McCown, Helen Diamond, Laura Bible, and Ashley Freeman, Lucinda Hules, Ashley Kohler, Debbie Lowe, Patrick Beavers, Clinton Nelson, Troy Galloway, Patty Action, Danielle Bell, Evelyn Hartley, Dal Phillips, Tyler Stice, Bill Underhill, Patricia Taylor, Aaron Barnard, Jeremy Burt, Brian Sullivan, Nikki Wells, Marina Bolter, Mandy Stokes, Greg Brooks, Rebecca Henderson, Dominique Holly Grisham, Tiffany Daniels, Nicholas Masucci, Donald Irwin, Billy De Silvestro, Renee Yergain, Mikhail Biggs, Al Copper, J.R. Malahan, Jamie Bowen, Travis Roberson, Rosemary Rapp, Kristen Mottaferri, Zoe Campos, Sean Ginyard, Thomas Brown, Amanda Fravel, Julie Early, Ellen Sloan, Renee LaManna, Nico Lisi, Leah Peebles, Melissa Hasley, Kimberly Raymer, Stephen Kocher, Bonnie Joseph, Immaculate Basil, Bobby Campbell, Kimberly Norwood, Alyssa Turney, Bobby Tennyson, Dale Kerstetter, Lacey Buenfill, Peggy McGuire, Jansen Brewer, and Daniel Braden, Robert Wayne Cox, Lucas Degerness, Stephen Adams, Ashley Summers, Bonnie Dagus, and Jeremy Dagus, Judith Emke, Jessica Hamby, Tim Beauchart, Devin Bond, Juanita Nelson, Desiree Ferris, Angie Yarnell, Deborah Asbury, Sean Koski, Mary Lands, Devin Brown busetta Shanna Boydo, Travis Murrow, Keith Fetter, Layla Faulkner, Megan Lancaster, Kelly Sims, Jack Hemby, Barbara Frame, Dory Ann Myers, Austin Pivo, Christine Hamilton, Monica Appleton, Jonathan Estes, Molly Miller and Colt Haynes, Donnie Martin III, Kamisha Hollis, Lisa Wallace, Tammy McKittrick, Julie Say, Stephanie Clemens, Andy Chapman, Trevor Nichols, Tiffany Johnson, Tyler North, David Kesey, Lucera Sarabia, Brandi Myers, J.L. Hamblin, Bradley Allen, Timothy Guy, Janelle Matthews, Ronald McNutt, Cameron Remmer, Tammy Arthur, and Chad Peters. Jesse Ross, Lisa Shuttleworth, Jackson Miller, Patrick Reed, Jeremy Goodwin, Mary Jane Van Gilder, Phyllis Corbin, Eric Alvarado, Cassandra Ramirez, April Andrews, David Hardy Jr., Dennis J. Lushball, Christy Nichols, Chris Sanders, Danielle Sleeper, Julie Wefflin, Shelva Rafty, Rodney Kaiser, Chris Mittendorf, and Christina Braunham, Gregory Howes, Brian Cook, Charles Thompson, Jessica Garino, Jacob Paddock Weeks, Jackie Bucky Letney, Joe Bain, Vanessa Oren, Jennifer Casper Ross, Robbie Hurt, Unique Harris, Doug Jones, Deborah Bowman, Bradley Brooks, Angela Green, Jody Husentrout, Brennan Smokey, Riles Chapman, Marion Hurley, Gaila Shaper, Caleb Powell, Chelsea Kobo, Bonnie Santiago, TJ Murray, Noah Davis, Patty Dudek, Ben Archer, Jake Lachelet, Sky Burnley, Kayleen Oling, Stephanie Hartwell, Nyleen Marshall, Kaya Taylor, Pearl Pinson, Brenda Condon, Alwyn Albright, Sky Tosick, Sandy Knipe, Brian Schaefer, Teresa Woolard, Toby Anderson, David Schrader, Chance Engelbert, Julianne Jolay, Rachel Searx, Sean Antill, Randy Duran, Rashawn Francis, Amanda Ward-Romine, Crystal Bailey, Brenda Sika, Laverta Sorrell, Nicholas Shin, Kevin Newen, Ashley Simpson, Leanne Hosberg, Alicia Markovich, Audrey Heron, Lonine Rogers, Beatrice Viela, Allie Lowitzer, Jamie Peterson, Belinda Blanar, Jordan Carvalho, Christian Balky Thompson, Paul Sanders, Jennifer Perry, Andrea Knabel, Sebastian Kelly, Marianne Verdechia, Marcella Kraltsy, and Mary Regan, Sue Swaddell, Mark Heimbau, Dub and Chance Wackerhagen, Kimberly Wilson-Talley, Harry Milligan, Paul Egan, and Steve Davis. Now the unfound, now missing people: Linda Stoltfus, Erica Lloyd, Mary Lane Carter, Stephanie Hollingsworth, Corey Dale Moore, Alan White, Jason Landry, Ilya Scheibel, Kirsten Brogman, Mark Pinella. Cynthia Ball Ray, Luis Davila, Candy Gonzalez, Justin Sywak, Michael Vaughn, Wendy Guessing, Shannon Miller, Glenda Parton, and Dwayne Selby, Heidi Plank, Bowman, Steph- Stephen, excuse me, Stephen Salazar, Lindsey Schobelock, and Jordan Simeon. If you have the time and passion, please contact these missing persons families to help them in their quests to find their missing loved ones. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Densel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.